Section 10 of Come Rack, Come Rope. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James Carson. Come Rack, Come Rope by Robert Hugh Benson. Book 2, Chapter 1. Part 1. It was with a sudden leap of her heart that Marjorie, looking out her window at the late autumn landscape, her mind still running on the sheet of paper that lay before her, saw a capped head and then a horse's crest rise over the broken edge of land up which Robin had ridden so often two and three years ago. Then she saw who was the rider and laid her pen down again. It was two years since the lad had gone to Reims, and it would be five years more, she knew, since he was not over-quick at his books, before he would return a priest. She had letters from him. One would come now and again, a month or two sometimes, after the date of writing. It was only in September that she had had the letter which he had written her on hearing of her father's death, and Mr. Manners had died in June. She had written back to him then, a discreet and modest letter enough, telling him of how Mr. Simpson had read Mass over the body before it was taken down to Derby for the burying, and telling him, too, of her mother's rheumatics that kept her abed now three parts of the year. For the rest, the letters were dull enough reading to one who did not understand them. The news the lad had to give was of a kind that must be disguised, lest the letters should fall into other hands, since it concerned the coming and going of priests whose names must not appear. Yet for all that the letters were laid up in a press, and the heap grew slowly. It was Mr. Anthony Babington who was come now to see her, and it was his third visit since the summer. But she knew well enough what he was come for, since his young wife, whom he had married last year, was no use to him in such matters. She had lately had a child too, and lived quietly at Dethick with her women. His letters, too, would come at intervals, carried by a rider, or sometimes some farmer's man on his way home from Derby, and these letters, too, held dull reading enough for such as were not in the secret. Yet the magistrates at Derby would have given a good sum if they could have intercepted and understood them. It was in the upper parlour now that she received him. Fire was burning there, as it had burned so long ago, when Robin found her fresh from her linen and Anthony sat down in the same place. She sat by the window, with the paper in her hands, at which she had been writing when she first saw him. He had news for her of two kinds, and, like a man, gave her first that which she least wished to hear. She had first showed him the paper. "'That was the very matter I was come about,' he said. "'You have only a few of the names, I see. Now the rest will come over before Christmas, and we'll all be in London together.' "'Can you not give me the name?' she said. "'I could give you the name, certainly, and I will do so before I leave. "'I have them here. But, Mistress Marjorie, could you not come to London with me? "'It would ease the case very much.' "'Why, I could not,' she said. "'My mother, and what good would it serve?' "'This is how the matter stands,' said Anthony, crossing his legs. "'We have a dozen priests coming all together, at least. "'They will not travel together, of course.' but they will all reach London before Christmas, and there they will hold council as to who shall go to the districts. 
Eight of them, I have no doubt, will come to the north. There are as many priests in the south as are safe at the present time, or as are needed. Now, if you were to come with me, mistress, with a serving-maid, and my sister would be with us, we could meet these priests and speak with them, and make their acquaintance. That would remove a great deal of danger. We must not have the affair again which fell out last month. Marjorie nodded slowly. It was wonderful how her gravity had grown on her these last two years. She knew well enough what he meant. It was the affair of the clerk who had come from Derby on a matter connected with her father's will about the time she was looking for the arrival of a strange priest, and who had been so mistaken by her. Fortunately he had been a well-disposed man with Catholic sympathies, or grave trouble might have followed. But this proposal of a visit to London seemed to her impossible. She had never been to London in her life. It appeared to her as might a voyage to the moon. Darby seemed oppressingly large and noisy and dangerous, and Darby, she understood, was scarcely more than a village compared to London. I could not do it, she said presently. I could not leave my mother. Anthony explained further. It was evident that Booth's Edge was becoming more and more a harbour for priests, owing largely to Mistress Marjorie's courage and piety. It was well placed, it was remote, and it had so far avoided all suspicion. Padley certainly served for many, but Padley was nearer the main road, and besides had fallen under the misfortune of losing its master for the very crime of recusancy. It seemed to be all-important, therefore, that the ruling mistress of Booth's Edge, since there was no master, should meet as many priests as possible, in order that she might both know and be known by them. And here was such an opportunity as would not easily occur again. Here were a dozen priests, all to be together at one time, and of these at least two-thirds would be soon in the north. How convenient, therefore, it would be if their future hostess could but meet them, learn their plans, and perhaps aid them by her counsel. But she shook her head resolutely. I cannot do it, she said. Anthony made a little gesture of resignation, but indeed he had scarcely hoped to persuade her. He knew it was a formidable thing to ask of a country-bred maid. Then we must do as well as we can, he said. In any case, I must go. There is a priest I have to meet in any case. He is returning as soon as he has bestowed the rest. Yes? His name is Ballard. He is known as Fortescue, and passes himself off as a captain. You would never know him for a priest. He is returning, you say? A shade of embarrassment passed over the young man's face, and Marjorie saw that there was something behind which she was not to know. Yes, he said. I have business with him. He is not to come over on the mission yet, but only to bring the others and see them safe. He broke off suddenly. Why, I was forgetting, he cried. Our Robin is coming, too. I had a letter from him and another for you. He searched in the breast of his coat and did not see the sudden rigidity that fell on the girl. For a moment she sat perfectly still. Her heart had leapt to her throat, it seemed, and was hammering there. But by the time he had found the letter she was herself again. Here it is, he said. She took it, but made no movement to open it. But he is not to be a priest for five years yet, she said quietly. No. But they send them sometimes as servants and such like to make a party seem what it is not, as well as to learn how to avoid her grace's servants. 
He will go back with Mr. Ballard, I think, after three or four weeks. You have had letters from him, you told me? She nodded. Yes, but he has said nothing of it, but only how much he longed to see England again. He could not. It has only just been arranged he has asked to go. There was a silence for a moment, but Anthony did not understand what it meant. He had known nothing of the affair of his friend and this girl, and he looked upon them merely as a pair of acquaintances. Above all, when he had heard of Robin's determination to go to Rheims. Even the girl saw that he knew nothing, in spite of her embarrassment, and the thought that had come to her when she had heard of Robin's coming to London grew on her every moment. But she thought she must gain time. She stood up. "'You would like to see the letters?' she asked. "'I will bring them.' And she slipped out of the room. Part Two Anthony Babington sat still, staring up at Icarus in the chariot of the sun, something of a moody look on his face. It was true that he was sincere and active enough in all that he did up here in the north for the priests of his faith. Indeed, he risked both property and liberty on their behalf, and was willing to continue doing so as long as these were left to him. But it seemed to him sometimes that too much was done by spiritual ways and too little by temporal Certainly the priesthood of the Mass were instruments, and indeed the highest instruments, in God's hands. It was necessary to pray and receive the sacraments, and to run every risk in life for these purposes. Yet it appeared to him that the highest instruments were not always the best for such rough work. It was now over two years ago since the thought had first come to him, and since that time he had spared no effort to shape a certain other weapon, which he thought, would do the business straight and clean. Yet how difficult it had been to raise any feeling on the point. At first he had spoken almost freely to this or that Catholic whom he could trust. He had endeavored to win even Robin, and yet, with hardly an exception, all had drawn back and bidden him be content with a spiritual warfare. One priest, indeed, had gone so far as to tell him that he was on dangerous ground and the one and single man who up to the present had seemed on his side was the very man, Mr. Ballard, then a layman, whom he had met by chance in London, and who had been the occasion of first suggesting any such idea. It was, in fact, for the sake of meeting Ballard again that he was going to London, and he had almost thought from his friend's last letter it had seemed that it was for the sake of meeting him that Mr. Ballard was coming across once more. So the young man sat with that moody look on his face, until Marjorie came back, wondering what news he would have from Mr. Ballard, and whether the plan, at present only half-conceived, was to go forward or be dropped. He was willing enough, as has been said, to work for priests, and he had been perfectly sincere in his begging Marjorie to come with him for that very purpose. But there was another work which he thought still more important. However, that was not to be Marjorie's affair. It was work for men only. Here they are, she said, holding out the packet. He took them and thanked her. I may read them at my leisure? I may take them with me? She had not meant that, but there was no help for it now. Why, yes, if you wish, she said. Stay, let me show you which they are. You may not wish to take them all. The letters that the two looked over together in that wainscoted parlor at Booth's Edge lie now in an iron case in a certain muniment room. They are yellow now, and the ink is faded to a pale, dusky red. 
and they must not be roughly unfolded lest they should crack at the creases but they were fresh then written on stout white paper each occupying one side of a sheet that was then folded three or four times sealed and inscribed to mistress marjorie manners in the middle with the word haste in the lower corner the lines of writing run close together and the flourishes on one line interweave now and again with the tales on the next the first was written within a week of robin's coming to rheims and told the tale of the sailing the long rides that followed it the pleasure the writer found at coming to a catholic country and something of his adventures upon his arrival with his little party but names and places were scrupulously omitted dr allen was described as my host and in more than one instance the name of a town was inscribed with a line drawn beneath it to indicate that this was kind of an alias the second letter gave some account of the life lived in rheims was a real boy's letter and this was more difficult to treat with discretion it related that studies occupied a certain part of the day that prayers were held at such and such times and that the sports consisted chiefly of a game called cat so with the eight or nine that followed the third and fourth were bolder and spoke of certain definitely catholic practices of prayers for the conversion of england and of mass said on certain days for the same intention it seemed as if the writer had grown confident in his place of security but later again his caution returned to him and he spoke in terms so veiled that even marjorie could scarcely understand him yet on the whole the letters if they had fallen into hostile hands would have done no irreparable injury they would only have indicated that a catholic living abroad in some unnamed university or college was writing an account of his life to a catholic named mistress marjorie manners living in england when the girl had finished her explaining it was evident that there was no longer any need for anthony to take them with him he said so ah but take them if you will cried the girl it would be better not you have them safe here and marjorie flushed she felt that her ruse had been too plain i would sooner you took them she said you can read them at your leisure so he accepted and slipped them into his breast with what seemed to the girl a lamentable carelessness then he stood up i must go he said and i have never asked after mistress manners she is abed said the girl she has been there this past month now she went with him to the door for it was not until then that she was courageous enough to speak as she had determined mr babington she said suddenly he turned i have been thinking while we talked she said you think my coming to london would be of real service i think so it would be good for you to meet these priests before they then i will come if my mother gives me leave when will we go we should be riding in not less than a week from now but mistress no i have thought of it i will come if my mother gives me leave he nodded briskly and brightly he loved courage and he understood that this decision of hers had required courage then my sister shall come for you and no mr babington there is no need we shall start from derby why yes then my maid and i will ride down there and sleep at the inn and be ready for you on the day that you appoint when he was gone at last she went back again to the parlor and sat without moving and without seeing she was in an agony lest she had been unmaidenly in determining to go so soon as she heard that robin was to be there End of Book 2, Chapter 1
Recording by James Carson.